0: It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. Today I would like for us to go on a journey A journey to the southeastern corner of the Dead Sea in modern day Jordan. It is at this site that we find the approximate location of the ancient cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were at one time amazing cities, they were wealthy and luxurious. However, they were filled with immorality. Scholars and archaeologists believe that ancient Sodom and Gomorrah were part of a metropolis that consisted of five cities, each having its own king. It was a population center that reflected great wealth and sophistication. In addition, outside of the cities, there was very fertile ground that provided excellent growing potential. Archaeology has revealed that they grew an abundance of grains and had plentiful orchards. These fields Produced in abundance. These cities were commercial centers as well, and they really didn't lack anything. And so it led to leisure and a city filled with immoral pleasure seeking. Wine flowed freely and wickedness grew. The people of these cities turned their back upon God, they were only concerned with indulging in immoral pleasures. Soon these cities would experience the judgment of God. The famed archeologist, Dr. Nelson Gluck, worked in the Southeast of the Dead Sea and he discovered a trade route from ancient Mesopotamia to Sodom and Gomorrah. He also discovered that the Sodom and Gomorrah traded trade routes with other cities only increasing their wealth and luxury. Archaeologists have uncovered a site there along the southeastern banks of the Dead Sea, which they believe to be the very site of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, there isn't 100% assurance, but very good evidence that it is the location. They have uncovered a site with over 1.5 million graves, which indicates a thriving population. But the population had become corrupt. And being warned of their pending doom, the Bible tells us what happened to these cities. That story is found in Genesis chapter 19 and in verse 24. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Amazingly, as archaeologists have excavated the site, they have found signs of absolute destruction with a layer of ash anywhere between 10 and 50 centimeters in thickness. This affirmation of the destruction of the city of Abraham's time is a phenomenal corroboration of God's holy word. Now, you'll remember that Sodom and Gomorrah were absolutely wicked cities. In Genesis 18 and verse 20, it describes these cities as their sin being very grave. But in these cities lived a servant of God, Lot and his family. Lot was the nephew of Abraham. An angel actually visited Lot and led his family out of those wicked cities. And on their way out, Lot's wife looked back. Her heart was still in that wicked city. She still had attachments to the pleasures, wealth, and materialism of Sodom and Gomorrah. She couldn't leave her old self behind and enjoy the new life that God had planned. God called Lot to escape for his life. Jesus, today, makes the same appeal to you and to me. That we lay down anything that separates us from Jesus and escape to him, leave all our materialistic, earthly attachments behind, and live a life devoted to him. Lot's wife looked back. She was lost eternally. God calls us today to be a genuine Christian and have a life-transforming relationship with Jesus. We cannot straddle the fence. We need to be all in for Jesus. Fire fell on those cities, And in a passage we looked at before, notice the lesson of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Jude 7, it tells us the example that Sodom and Gomorrah should be. In Jude, verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah are an example of what will happen to the wicked. We have been studying the question, is heaven for real? Last week we asked, well, what about hell? This program is part seven of our series on heaven, but part two about hell. If you've missed any of our programs, you can visit our website, itiswrittencanada.ca, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash IIWCanada, to see past programs. Sodom and Gomorrah serve as an example of what the final destruction of the wicked will be. It is not an ever-burning, ongoing place of torture, but rather a permanent destruction by fire that has everlasting results. Sodom and Gomorrah were totally, completely, absolutely destroyed. They don't burn on. They were turned into stubble, to ash. And that serves as an example of what hell will be. These cities were immoral. They partied practice sexual relationships outside the confines of marriage. They received plenty of warning, but God finally said that their time was up. A day is coming soon when the cup of rebellion and sin will be full here on this earth, and God will say, that is enough. He wants to save as many as possible, and he is going to intervene in this earth's history to assure that there will be a faithful remnant, a faithful final generation that he will take home heaven. For those who don't want to be a part of the heavenly realm in his mercy, God removes them from existence by destruction with fire after the millennium. Sodom and Gomorrah do not continue to burn today, but the Bible describes it as eternal fire that consumed them. The Bible describes eternal fire as a fire that has permanent results. They never burned again. The destruction was complete and the effects was were eternal. That is what eternal fire is. An eternal fire is not one that eternally burns on, but one that completely burns up, completely to ashes, so that it no longer exists. It is burned. It never has to be reburned because it's gone. 2 Peter 2 6 tells us that Sodom and Gomorrah were turned to ash. That is an example of what hell will be. Not a place, but an event in which this earth is cleansed completely from sin, which includes the devil, his angels, and the sinner. Everything turned completely to ash. Then the earth is prepared to be made new. Friends, that is the consistent picture we get from the teachings of Jesus and the other Bible writers. Death, utter destruction, is the ultimate fate of the wicked. Some believe and teach that Satan and sinners will be tormented forever and ever. The basis of such a belief is not in the Bible. It is actually rooted in ancient Egyptian religion, passed on to the Greeks, and entered the church through Roman paganism. But some will point to a text such as Roman, uh, excuse me, Revelation 20 and verse 10. The devil... Who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This phrase, forever and ever, actually in the Greek can literally mean until the end of the age. Friends, think about what an ever burning hell would require. Have you ever been burned? It is very painful but being thrown into a fire would lead to death. An ever-burning fire would require that God would have to regenerate life in an individual over and over again so they could suffer eternally. This does not fit in with the character of God. The wicked are consumed completely. Satan and his angels are utterly destroyed and the effects Are eternal. Forever in the Bible often denotes a limited time, such as as long as one lives. Exodus 21 6 is a perfect example of this. Exodus 21 and verse 6. Then his master shall bring to him the judges. He shall also bring to him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. Now, this is speaking of a servant or a slave. Now, let me ask you, are there a bunch of Hebrew slaves walking around this earth who are serving their master forever for an eternity? No. Forever simply meant for a lifetime. As long as the slave lived, he would serve. Jonah said these words, describing his being swallowed by the whale in Jonah chapter two and in verse six. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. Friends, is Jonah still sitting in the belly of the whale? It was a limited time. He was in the belly of the whale for an allotted time. Hannah dedicated Samuel in 1 Samuel 1, verse 22 to serve the Lord in the temple and remain there forever. Is Samuel still in the temple in the ruins in Jerusalem? No. In fact, 1 Samuel 1 and verse 28 make it very clear how long Samuel served. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. As long as he lives, this is forever. Friends, these vivid and graphic images of eternal fire and smoke rising forever are metaphors that emphasize the tragedy of losing the lost. The Bible calls the destruction of the wicked in Isaiah 28, 21. Listen to these words in Isaiah chapter 28. And bring to pass his act, his unusual act. It calls hellfire God's unusual act. The English Standard Version states it this way. To do his deed, strange is his deed, and to work his work, alien is his work. The King James Version goes on that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. The destruction of the wicked is called unusual, strange, and alien. God is a creator, not a destroyer. He wants to create a new heart and you, friend. We don't need to worry about hell because we have the opportunity to serve him and follow him and be with him. We can serve him out of love and not fear. Even those who do not choose to follow him will not be punished for an eternity for one lifetime of mistakes and choices. God in his mercy will simply destroy them from existence in an instance. Even Jesus used imagery to show us that we don't want to be part of such an event. In a parable in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 50, Jesus said these words, and cast them into the furnace of fire, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus describes heaven as a great wedding banquet. There's a wonderful celebration, but someone has come in unprepared. They're not wearing a wedding garment, an allusion to being covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And in this guest's great presumption, he is cast away. And in Matthew 22:13, 13, this is what it says. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Another picture arises using the same phrase in just a few chapters later, Matthew 25 and verse 30. The parable of the 10 talents and the lazy servant who didn't work for the master. And this is what is said about him. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why such pain? Because in each case, the individuals are on the outside. They realize what they have missed. They are cut off from the wonderful reward that Jesus has in store for us. They have missed out. They have missed out on eternal life. Matthew 25 and verse 21 tells us of that gift. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The joy of our Lord, friends, is to be in heaven with each of us for eternity. Missing out on eternal life will be the greatest tragedy ever in history. That is the agony of hell. Does God need to arbitrarily torture the wicked in order to punish them adequately? Absolutely not. The pain, the real pain, comes from the realization of what they've missed, what they've thrown away. Friends, there is no comparison. Nothing in this life will compare with the bliss and peace of heaven. They realize that they've thrown it all away for a few moments of pleasure. It wasn't worth it at all. No wonder there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. We can't miss out, friends. We don't want to miss out. The Bible clearly points out that hell is not a place, but is an event on this earth that ends sin forever. It ends it all completely and permanently. This is a merciful act of a loving God who must bring all things to a close. Some will say, "But wait. Does't the Bible say that Jesus preached to the spirits in prison? Well let's see what that text says. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 19. "By whom also He went and preached to the spirits, in prison. The easiest way to understand this text is to read the surrounding information. So let's go back a verse and read a few beyond. So let's go back verses 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient. When once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. First, verse 18 makes it clear that Jesus was made alive by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is not dead in this passage. So then, who are these spirits in prison? And when did Jesus preach to them? Verse 20 makes it quite clear. Those from the days of Noah. We did a whole series on Noah. You'll remember the earth was filled with wickedness and violence. Christ, through the prophets, spoke to those people in those days through the prophets. These people who were possessed by evil spirits with violence and immorality, And he tried to release them from the bondage of sin, from the prison of sin. He provided every opportunity for them to repent and break that bondage. There was no visiting an eternal burning center of the earth. Jesus, through the prophets, spoke. Spoke to the people in Noah's day. Now others will say, wait, wait. What about the rich man and Lazarus? There is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. In fact, it's a parable. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes... To them, from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. The first important point about this passage is in fact that it is a parable. It is in a string of parables that Jesus is using to teach about the kingdom of God. Often, parables are symbolic or metaphorical in nature to illustrate a point. Each point of the parable can't be taken literally. If we were to do so, then heaven would literally be Abraham's bosom. How big would Abraham's bosom have to be? This is, of course, just an illustration. And friend, also think about it. What a terrible place heaven would be if we had continual contact with those who were lost. You see, in this parable, Jesus used a common story among the Jews at the time that described dying as passing through a dark valley and finding salvation and fleeing to the bosom of Abraham. They also were commonly thought that the rich were the blessed of God and surely going to heaven. So Jesus used this parable to turn things on end. He then used the parable to teach three distinct points. One, any wealth gained by greed or through dishonesty or in disregarding the poor, none of those are signs of having God's favor. Number two, He taught that there is no second chance after death. Once you've lived your life and then you die, there is no second chance. Our chance is now while we live. And thirdly, Jesus was teaching that he had already given a sign and he had given more signs and other signs, including raising someone from the dead but the religious leaders rejected him. However, had they studied their scriptures, had they gone to the Old Testament, they would have known that Jesus was, in fact, the promised Messiah. But their refusal to study the word would not allow them to ever accept Jesus, even with all the signs in the world. Friends, we don't need to be like the Pharisees or the Sadducees. We can accept Jesus and the miracle of his love. Heaven is for real and he wants to take you there. Jesus suffered on the cross the full consequences of the second death. He faced uncertainty and faced the full wage of sin. He did that so we don't have to. And we can live with him forever. He's preparing a place now. And will prepare a new earth for those that love him and want to be with him. Friends, we don't have to worry about hellfire. It wasn't prepared for any human being, only for the devil and his angels. Sin will be destroyed there. All we need to do is let go of our sin and cling to Jesus. All we must do is place our faith in Christ as Savior and entrust our lives into his hands. Won't you make that your choice today? Heavenly Father, today we come to you and we release our sin. We give our sin to you and we cling to Jesus. Secure us in our relationship with him. Help us to know him and have the comfort of his peace, of his joy, and prepare us that we would be ready to meet him when he comes again in glory. We pray in Jesus name. Amen It is written Canada is pleased to present internationally acclaimed Christian recording trio Selah, in three amazing concerts. September 6 in Toronto, Ontario. September 20 in Surrey, British Columbia and October 11 in Red Deer, Alberta. For more information and to purchase tickets, log on to itiswrittencanada.ca or call 905-404-6510. Friends, today's program was the seventh in an eight-part series that answers the question, is heaven for real? We have found that heaven is for real and Jesus is doing everything he can to take us there. I would like to offer you the eight-part series in a DVD set. Here is the information you need to receive that DVD set. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7B4. Friend, thank you for watching today. Heaven is a real place, and Jesus right now is preparing and securing your place there. Will you answer his call to be there with him? These programs are designed to prepare us so we are ready to meet Jesus when he comes again. I invite you to watch the program next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.